Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 14th of August 2022, 11 o'clock service. Hugh Griffith speaking on Why I Am a Christian. I'm going to start this talk, this sermon, by showing a short video clip from Lee Marvin. seen a sight that didn't look better looking back I was born under a wandering star Well, in the 9.30 service I suspect that very few people had heard of Lee Marvin I hope all of us have um, but if you haven't, he was an American he was a contemporary of Clint Eastwood and he made loads of films and TV shows, mostly as the tough guy. None of that applies to me. But the two phrases in this song do apply. I was, I won't try singing it. I was born under a wandering star and I've never seen a sight that didn't look better looking back. So looking far back for me, I was born in Hong Kong in 1949 my father was working there for Unilever, and both he and my mother lived, well, I say both, of course, they lived in a flat on Hong Kong Island itself. But they left seven weeks after I was born, took me with them, and uh, here's a picture of, I was, I was quite pleased, I, looking back I'm quite pleased, here's a picture of my mum and dad at an event marking their leaving, leaving Hong Kong. It's very grand, and uh, if you can recognise them, well done. I'm not there. We, we travelled by sea back to the UK. This is 1949. Planes weren't really invented by then, not really long-distance ones. And uh, so here's a picture of me on the boat, living the life of the filthy rich. Now, I, I can see it. I know what you're thinking. I know just what you're thinking. What a beautiful baby. So here are some more pictures of me. That was my first bout of wandering. My dad's work took him to loads of different countries. We lived in Ceylon, as it was then, Sri Lanka, now, for five years. And my brother Martin was born there. And then in 1955, we moved to Leopoldville, now Kinshasa, and it was in the Belgian Congo. In 62, 1962, we moved to Manila in the Philippines. A lot of wandering. And part of my Christian heritage is that we all used to go to church every Sunday. Different denominations in the different countries. In, in uh, Colombo, it was the Scots Kirk on the Gaul face. Later on, we used to go to a missionary church in the Congo. And in Manila, we went to an Episcopal church. When we were at home in Cardiff, we'd go to the Eglis Anabanol in Mini Street, Welsh Congregational in Welsh. I went to boarding schools from the age of seven to Escola Bermad, here it is, um, 
stately home. It's currently a, a nursing home, and Barbara kindly said to me that you were there as a child. You can go back there for your... <laughs> Just outside Aberystwyth. And then, at 13, I went to Leighton Park, which is a Quaker school in Reading. I didn't enjoy life at school, either of them. I didn't make any real friends. I felt quite lonely, and I was bullied in both of them. And that boosted and developed my sense of insecurity, made me more of a person who wants to please everybody. In Leighton Park, Quaker School, the Quaker ethos is to encourage people to think for themselves and not to force your opinion on others. But also Quakers are noted for a liberal, caring, and compassionate approach to life. And those ways of thinking had a huge impact and have formed a lot of my character. But what made the biggest difference was my French teacher, David Preston. This is him probably about 10, 15 years ago. He was a graduate. He'd just graduated from Oxford, his first job teaching French to us. He started a small group where we, he taught, we studied the Bible, just for half a dozen boys from the school. I just cannot tell you how much I owe him. I was looking him up just when I was writing this talk, and I was really sad to see that he died only a couple of years ago. I'd never thanked him, never thanked him for those times. And the reason I hadn't, I, I, I owed him a thanks was, although I have no recollection of what we learnt from the Bible, I do know that he talked to us about the resurrection of Jesus. And he used a book called Who Moved the Stone? Many of us will know that. He showed us that the overwhelming likelihood, historically speaking, factually real, real truth, was that Jesus did live, he did die, and he did rise from the dead. And that truth and that conviction is still with me. I've never, never had doubts about the resurrection, the reality of it. I've had plenty of doubts about whether God truly cared for me, but none as to the essential truth of what the Bible recorded. He's probably been, David Preston has probably been, the most significant individual in my Christian journey. But there were many more who brought God home to me over the years. In 1966, our little study group at Leighton Park went to one of the Billy Graham Crusades in London, at Earl's Court, and David Preston took us. At the end of it, I went up to the front and prayed when, Gordon, when, uh, Gordon, when Graham made his call for people to accept Jesus' offer. I'm not sure how much I understood about it, but what did happen was that I got all their follow-up literature. I didn't get any in-person help, which is what they usually did, because I was in a boarding school. I read it, I tried to live it out, but on my own, I didn't get very far, and I never asked for help. School was the end of my first stage of living under a wandering star. I started at Warwick University in September 1968, and one of the big and maybe silly things I remember about going was thinking about taking my Bible to uni with me. It was only one of these small ones, you know, little ones. I decided not to because I never looked at it. Why put it in my bag? And it was a surprisingly hard decision. It stayed with me. And I can only say that I was right in logic. 
but God was working on me through my feelings. In fact, what I wanted to do at university, I wanted to study, but I wanted to thoroughly enjoy the wildlife that I hoped university could offer. But I look back, and I'm incredibly grateful for this. I was never able to overcome my personal insecurity and my social nervousness. And looking back, I know that again, this was God looking after me despite my wishes. Looking back makes me realize that he was always there. He was planning my steps to becoming a committed Christian. He was protecting me from going the wrong way, from sinfulness, from sin. Well, partway through my second term, Mike Townend, fellow student I didn't know, he knocked on my door in hall and he asked me some questions about Jesus and Christianity. Now, I told you I'd got all the Billy Graham literature and I'd read it and that was a problem because I knew already about a lot of the things he asked. And when he asked if I went to church, I said yes, the Welsh Congregational Church which rather threw him. The thing is, he then asked if I'd be interested in doing some Bible study to find out a bit more about who Jesus was. And I was trapped. I said I went to church, and I knew from my Billy Graham experience that all Christians studied the Bible. So I had to say yes. I can look back and I think how naive I was, but to me it's another indication of how God had been putting little episodes into my life with a purpose of getting me to become a Christian, looking back. So I did three weekly studies with a chap called Ted Pilling. And uh, this is him on the left, working with the navigators. He's one of the people who have made me into the Christian that I am. His faith, his faithfulness to me made an enormous impact. Over, over my years at university. But part of that's to come. We did the studies, we had the discussions, and I distinctly remember sitting in my room one evening in March 1969, realizing that I was faced with a choice. That choice was between truth or lie. My grammar wasn't very good then. I remember very distinctly realizing that actually what like that? There's no issue. So I plunged into the Jesus side. And looking back, I realized that the Holy Spirit was touching my mind and helping me to see the choice very clearly. And the choice I had to make was whether to accept Jesus as my rescuer, my savior, and to commit myself to living for him, or to reject him and to carry on as I was. It wasn't that my life was so bad, in my view, that I was desperate to choose a comforter, but the principal reason I chose Jesus was that I was convinced, thank you, Mr. Preston, that this man had been crucified and did get up a few days later and was alive, and he spoke to loads of individuals and groups. I reasoned that if he was really dead and then became alive, then he was worth listening to and believing. The supernatural event of him being alive instead of mouldering in a tomb just outside Jerusalem, that was enough to convince me that he was the Son of God. So my start in faith was based on the solid rock of facts, which is good. But there was no feeling there. 
There's no feeling that God loved me, that I'm a person who constantly does things that he doesn't want me to, that I really and truly needed a savior, at least as much as I needed to be confident about the facts. My faith was real. I was born again, but it was based on cold facts rather than the warm love of Jesus. And that was going to be my reality for years. I became part of the Navigator group at Warwick. There were so many things to learn about being a Christian and doing the right thing in God's eyes. Some of them were good. Some of them were pretty uncomfortable. A couple of them were, and I couldn't argue against those. One of the things we did was to go out knocking on doors in the hall of residence, asking our fellow students if they would be interested in looking at what the Bible said about Jesus. Some were, most weren't. I really found those encounters difficult and, and a bit frightening. But, but I look back and I think how grateful I am that I was encouraged to get out there with a message of hope and truth. And it's been part of my basic nature ever since. The methods may change. I don't go door knocking around New Malden or in a hall of residence. But to talk about Jesus and what he has done for us is a core part of my being. It's still frightening, of course, and I don't know many people who, uh, who, who find it easy to share their faith with people who don't agree with them. I find that odd. Why is it that we do find it so difficult? Why are we so frightened to talk about the person who means so much to us, who's done so much to us? But that's the reality. The second thing that struck me, a second thing that struck me, stuck with me, is the authority of the Bible. I see it as God's words written down by people like you and me, and the best way we have of finding out about him. That's one reason why I come to church. One reason why I go to a home group where we study the Bible. So thank you to Alistair Jones for that. It's one reason why I spend time every day reading it. My experience is that when I leave the Bible out of my life, or the church out of my life, that it is then that I have little experience of Jesus, and definitely none of the fulfillment that Jesus promised to those who follow him when life becomes harder. When I left university in 1971, I went to live in Helsinki, in Finland, for two years. And basically, I went there to get involved in the Navigator Ministry, who are working with students uh, in a couple of the universities. It was another life-changing time. As the group leader, Tom Hebe, who's the chap on the right, um, spent time with me and helped me to see that being a Christian, living a Christian life, is more about God's love for us and about our response to that than it is about having to do the right things. You can see on the left, that rather sad-looking chap on, on the far left is me. Tom, top right, top left, Paul Lapala, Becca, Curry. Really, there are people who made a difference to me. I discovered that keeping the faith, not moving away from it, and growing in it, it has a huge amount to do with the people I got to know. Ted Pilling at Warwick, Tom Hebe, and those people there, Pekka, Kari, two others, Eero, Eero Pertonen, and Mikko in Helsinki. They had an impact on my life because there were people I got to know and people who cared for me and wanted me to grow deeper into my relationship with Jesus. It was an important two years. 
I moved to London after two years in Helsinki, and after a while I joined a home group with Peter Butler in charge, and uh, pretty soon realised that there was a lovely lady in it, Barbara Newing. She must have felt something similar. And so in 1976, we got married. You can recognise me, I'm the one on the left. Um, and a few years later, we moved to New Malden and started coming here. My worries about really believing that God loves me, just as I am, were still there though. And I'm so glad for my sense of duty pulling me through even when things seemed pretty grey. I was finding that reading the Bible was not very interesting. I felt inside me that I was merely going through the motions and that apart from my conviction that the resurrection of Jesus really happened, I might as well give up. I suffered from stress at work, long hours. I was responsible for decisions that I felt were above things I could decide on. I had no easy way to offload any of it. I discovered I stopped working in 2016, that that was one of the common factors that surrounded all of the jobs I had. I've always wanted to be challenged in my work and in my non-work life, but being challenged can result in stress, and I'm really no stranger to that. I found that living with Barbara and our two children was not always the easiest thing to do properly. I learned a huge amount from Barbara about caring and not always being right. I was the one not caring, I was the one not always right. Okay, just to make it clear. <laughs> um, there were some painful times, but gradually, gradually I began to change. The problem wasn't Barbara, but it had certainly a lot to do with me adapting my lifestyle to be supporting and caring for her and for our two children. The 1980s were not easy. But we did have two delightful children, David and Anna. And then Anna had children. And then, here they are. I'm going to spend a short while now, just pause while I look at these pictures. Oh dear, lovely. At a spring harvest in the mid-1980s, I remember sitting in an empty tent after an evening meeting. I was almost crying tears. But certainly I was crying out to God that I couldn't keep on living his way only as a duty. I needed and wanted to feel his love. Now, I know that there are people who say that your feelings are risky things to depend on, and indeed they can be. But to feel the love of God, to actually experience fulfillment in your life because of him, that is different. That is life-saving. And... I didn't feel straight away a sense of you know, golden clouds and things floating around, but what happened to me was very real. Over the next few days, I found that I was actually looking forward to reading the Bible each day. And as I did that, I found that God was speaking to me from the passages, giving me the reassurance that I was needing, making it clear to me that he was there with me. I found that my life can be fulfilling because of having Jesus as my friend. Before that, he was my master, really. I'd love to say that that moment in time completely sorted me out. Well, no. I'm still the same me in many ways, and it's still here, that same me is still here fighting insecurity and a sense of oncoming doom. But from then, I have been empowered to get back to the source of true life, 
to Jesus, to the words in the Bible. Jumping on a few years, at the turn of the century, on the first Sunday in 2000, Stuart Downey started the New Start service. I was church warden, but I was against it because I felt that this would be too difficult to do and it would cause hurt to many church members. That's what I said. The real reason I was against it, which I didn't say, was because it frightened me. It was new, different. I couldn't cope with the changes. And those are pretty rotten reasons. And it didn't take me long for me to realise that I was wrong. And to realise that this new start was the best thing that could have happened to the church. Lots of new people coming, feeling at home, new ways of doing a service, being tried out. I still remember Stuart, Northern Ireland, having a candle in the service. I don't think he felt happy about that, but that's what people wanted, so we did it. The whole thing was so refreshing. It was such a huge blessing to me and to many others. And then when it grew to become the larger of our two morning services, it was exciting to see it moving into the main church, into here, from the lounge. And with all Stephen's encouragement, to see it like it is now, it's just incredible. I find it's affirming, exciting, it's fresh and true, it's full of dynamism, enthusiasm. I absolutely love the idea of the shush-free church. You know, shush-free is one of those things that you don't think about, but it's so obvious when it's suggested. It takes courage and imagination, yes, it took faith as well, to put into practice, so thank you very much. These services, 9.30 and the 11 o'clock, they're a constant reminder to me of what being a Christian is, should be about. It's not just about doing the wrong things. Sorry, it's not just about not doing wrong things. Woo, woo. Cut the recording. It's not just about not doing wrong things, but it is about being a person who is on the lookout to help other, build other people's faith, to help the vulnerable, to welcome each one of you to the church, to be part of teaching children the truth about Jesus, to being in a relationship with Jesus. And I've said this before about this church, what I think. The warmth and the support that I get, not just as a person in the congregation sitting in the, in the pews or the chairs, but as a person called Hugh Griffiths with warts and all, that is an experience that means a lot to me and totally helps to keep me faithful. So, why am I a Christian? I became a Christian through a childhood of church going, but no confrontation with Jesus. And through my life experiences and my French teacher at Leighton Park, David Preston, I came to realise that Jesus can and would be my rescuer. I became a Christian in March 1969 because of the faithfulness of Ted Pilling and others in sharing the truth about Jesus with people they didn't know. And why am I still a Christian 53 years later? Because of you. Because of the times when I have seen God take an active part in my life to keep me safe and sure. Because he has always put people around me at school, at uni, at church, even at work, who have helped me to remain sure of my belief and to be challenged to live it out better and better. Because he doesn't let me go. Like Lee Marvin sang, 
I can look back and see those moments when God has touched my life. They didn't look great at the time, but looking back, they were. I may not have realized that he was doing that, and I often didn't. But those were moments when I needed him, and he proved to be a faithful friend. There were moments when he did a bit more preparing me for what he had for me in the future. And my creed, God is real. It, he's not an idea. He's not a ghost. He's real. He acts in today's real world. Jesus died and he, he rose again, really. I was given the chance to follow him and to grow in my relationship with him. And that's what I want. I want now, with all my heart, for that to be the case for people that I meet. Thank you.